que manja é A frequeta é o coelho nado A frequeta é o coelho nado A frequeta é o coelho nado Eu sou do Daomé Savalo, mas não sou Guarará Meu pai é o Molu Azuane Minha mãe é Iemanjá Afreguete Welcome to the Brazilian Beat. This is episode 85 with Leo Leobans. Join us as we get to know the Brazilian percussion and music making community one interview at a time. This is Courtney. And this is Diana. Hello. Hello. How are you doing, Courtney? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I just had a cookie and I think I <laughs> have a little sugar in me. So, yeah. Nice. Do you like us? Do you like this podcast? We love doing this podcast and uh, having conversations with all these folks across the world. It's a global community and it's a labor of love. But it's also labor, time, equipment, money, and a lot of coffee. Please help us keep these conversations going and learn more by going to co-fi.com slash the Brazilian Beat. This podcast is free and will remain free, but it is not free to make. We know that there are a lot of things to support right now. Um, but if you have the means, we invite you to join the community of support for this podcast. And we greatly appreciate it. So thanks to all of you who have already donated and to those of you who are considering and might do it in the future. Another way to support this podcast is to give us a rating on Apple and to write a review. Also, tell the person standing next to you when you are at your rehearsal, although we're not rehearsing anymore, <laughs> but if you're in Australia and you're at a rehearsal, <laughs> tell the person standing next to you about the Brazilian beat. Help spread the word. Thanks. And if you need drums and you need gear, check out gosamba.net. So today we have Leo Leo Bonds. He brings the rhythm in his veins and in his soul. He began his apprenticeship as a ritual contemplate drummer at the age of eight in Rio de Janeiro as a Ogang G. Shanko. In the mid-60s, he began to work as a percussionist with local bossa nova and samba bands. He moved to the U.S. in the 70s and received his AA in music from Montgomery College in Rockville, Maryland. And he studied percussion and ethnomusicology at the University of Maryland. In 1973, he began his studies with Julito Colyaso and was active in the bimbe and rumba scene in New York City. In 1979, he co-founded the group Cubata with Roberto Borel, Ernesto Guerra, and Pepe Calabasa, recording the group's only vinyl and touring the U.S. 
Upon returning to Brazil in the mid-80s, Leo recorded and toured with artists such as Nando Reis, Maria Rita, Javan, Monobloco, Aparegi, and Luca Santana. In 1995, he created the Rio Salsa Band, which mixed samba and salsa, and recorded the band's CD with some of his own compositions, which received wide acclaim as themes for shows on Brazil's Globo TV network. In 2002, he joined the band of percussionist Ramiro Musoto, and they went on to record the CD Civilização e Babari, and to tour South America, Europe, and Japan for several years into Musoto's untimely death. In 2012, Leo recorded the CD Ba. On that CD, he mixed Brazilian Contemplé and Cuban Santeria alongside his own compositions. Ba was nominated for Brazil's prestigious award, Premio da Música Brasileira. Leo has taught percussion courses in Brazilian schools and universities and has conducted workshops throughout the country. He has also given workshops in the U.S., England, Spain, Argentina, and Japan, as well as participated in films and television specials about Brazilian percussion. So we hope you guys uh, enjoy this interview. We had a great time getting to know Leo, and yeah, hope you enjoy it. Hello, Diana. Hello, Cordy. <laughs> Hello. Boa noite. Boa tarde. Boa noite. Boa noite. It's uh, 9.49 p.m. in Rio. And uh, so, good night. Hello, Courtney and Diana. This is Leo Leo Boinch, and I'm very, very pleased to be here. It's a privilege to be talking to you and to your audience about my music. Well, thanks for joining us. We're very excited to have you on. It's an honor to have you on. You have such a, a deep knowledge of of rhythms in Brazil and, and and Cuba and how it all fits together and, and the spiritual aspects of all that. We're really interested to dive into your into your brain <laughs> and learn. You might be disappointed. Let's take a dive. Let's go. <laughs> All right. So we'd like to start out by asking people about their early life and, and first contacts with music. Can you tell us tell us about sure. your story? Sure. Uh, I'd be glad to. I was, when I was, well, my my mother, she was, in, she was a candomblé practitioner and she had Yemanja made in her head. And uh, so since a very early age, I started attending with her. She would take me to candomblé ceremonies. And at the age of eight, I was raised, as we say here in Brazil, suspenso, to be an organ by Xangô. Xangô raised me to be an organ de Xangô. Organ is a generic name in candomblé. It's a generic name for, for male positions in candomblé. Uh, hmm. The organ alabe, particularly, is the drummer. Mm-hmm. So it's in the middle of a cer. We're in the midst of a ceremony, and what happens is, you know, all of a sudden, Shango, you know, uh, uh, his his uh, a devotee possessed by Shango comes up to me, embraces me, and raises me up in the air, and I'm eight years old, and I haven't Whoa. seen. I haven't seen that before. I mean, I was, I was pretty accustomed to, to, to go into candomblé ceremonies, 
but I had never seen that. Afterwards, were you scared? No, I was kind of what the hell is going on, you know, but not scared. Mm-hmm. No, I was, I mean, Candomblé, especially to a child, I mean, I, I don't know, to me, it was always very fascinating, you know, uh, the ceremony, the, the party, the, the dresses, the noise, the music, the dancing. Mm-hmm. It was very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, what happens once you're suspended? raised up by, by the Orisha, two Oganj, two consecrated men, you know, come up, they, they, they put their, they make a little chair with their arms, that's what they call it, hmm. they call it a chair, they, they, over, they stretch both arms, it's, it's hard not showing it, but anyway, and you sit on it, and you're paraded through the community, you know, and after they did that, they they set me a drum, gave me two sticks, and I started drumming. I can't tell you, I cannot tell you uh, the excitement that came over me. It was like the surge of excitement, you know. Uh, uh, I, I, it was like, I, it was my first high at eight years hmm. old, you know. And after that, I started drumming here and there, you know, at ceremonies. But I never went through a formal apprenticeship. Uh, this was here in Rio because right after that, I moved to, my family moved to Brasilia. And mm-hmm. uh, there we started, my mother found another Candomblé house. And I, I would play, but I, I didn't think of that as music, you know. It was like going to church, you know. So mm-hmm. that's how I started playing. Anyway. Uh, around, I can't, I don't know, I can't remember exactly the dates, but late 60s, uh, Tamba Trio, who was a, a very popular instrumental Brazilian music group, they made this recording of a song by Vinícius de Moraes, Canto de Ossanha, mm-hmm. where the drummer started the song by playing an atabaque, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some friends who had a bossa nova band, a, a bossa nova group, they called me to play the atabaki on that one song that they, they wanted to perform. And that was my first uh, chance at playing on a stage. And I got bit right there by the stage virus, you know. <laughs> so I started playing with a few friends, of the few bossa nova groups that was in Brasilia. Uh, Bossa Nova was very strong at that time. And what happened was a couple of years later, uh, my father, he worked at the Ministry of Education. And he worked at that time, it was the uh, Jango's government, you know, the government that was uh, taken down by the military coup in 1964. Uh-huh. Mm. But my father, he was still working. I mean, we're talking about 68. So that was four years later. But actually, in 1970, because my father worked with uh, Nizio Teixeira and uh, Paulo Freire, you know, who were like uh, very heavy guys in education, you know. And uh, so there were rumors that the military were after my father, and we left Brazil. Hmm. We left Brazil, went to Buenos Aires. Hmm. And 
So I'm in Buenos Aires, met some cats on the street. And How old um, were you at this time? Say what? How old were you when you 18. left? 18. 18, okay. Yeah, I started playing, uh, well, like like I said, in Candomblé, I started when I was eight. Right. But, you know, it was something like that. I didn't think of it as being a musician, you know, being a drummer. It was like, you know, a religious thing. It was going to church, like I said. But then I started playing with these Bossa Nova groups, these, these Bossa Nova bands, you know, a little bit here and there. And uh, when I got to Buenos Aires, I met these cats on, on the street, you know, and we started talking. They were musicians, they had a band, and they asked me, what do you do? I looked around, <laughs> I looked to one side, to the other. I said, I'm a musician, I'm a drummer. <laughs> And then I went to play with them. And they had, of all things, they, they had a, a, an Argentinian rock and roll band. And that was my first <laughs> professional gig. In 1970, 1970, Buenos Aires, uh, playing with this, uh, this Argentinian rock and roll band, which uh, was called Banda del Oeste. And uh, I, I had to rent some tumbadoras, Colombo. And to this day, I say, I still have the ticket, the rental ticket. You know, oh, funny. For the drums, yeah. Right after that, we moved to the States, Washington, D.C. Now, this was okay. 1970, uh, two years after, you know, Martin Luther King was assassinated, and the brothers burned down D.C. My father went to work for the OAS, the Organization of American States. And uh, I, I found a job at a McDonald's hmm. in the suburbs, in Bethesda, which is where we live. And as it happened, the, uh, that particular <laughs> McDonald's, uh, was the manager was from Jamaica. And he had brought over several friends of his from Jamaica to work at that McDonald's. And I got a job there. And I made friends with the guys, you know. And soon enough, I had a, uh, I had a fight with my, my parents uh, because of, uh, I mean, it, it was very hard for everybody. You know, moving to the States, moving to Buenos Aires, then moving to the U.S. Uh, it, it was very taxing yeah. for their family and stuff. Of course, anyway. yeah. So I decided, these guys told me, hey, you want to come live with us? I said, yeah, sure. Because uh, I'm not, I'm not so hot with my parents. I'm not uh, doing well with my folks. I want to move mm-hmm. out, and they said, "Well, come live with us." And of course, these Jamaicans, they lived. I mean, this was Washington D.C., which, which at the time was called Washington C.C. Chocolate City, because <laughs> it was right after the riots and stuff. And you know, the inner city had been burned down, mm-hmm. and uh, white folks had fled to to the suburbs. And, you know, uh, I'm light-skinned, you know, I'm a Brazilian white guy, but I, you know, in Candomblé and everything, Brazil, we know Brazil is one of the most racist countries around, but uh, I always lived around black folk and uh, worked with them, lived with them. Most of my friends were black. So these Jamaicans, you know, took me to their home, to their house. I went to live with them. And I'll never forget the next morning, the first morning when I went out with two of them to get some breakfast. 
you know, these three huge brothers, you know, stoppers on the street, look at me and say, what you doing here, boy? <laughs> and that was my, my, my welcome into the black community of D.C., which was fantastic because at that time, it was, you know, the Pan-Africanist movement, you know, Af Afro hairdos and daishikis and the, the African, uh, back to Africa, and the, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, Elijah, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad and, and Black Muslims, mm -hmm. all of that mm -hmm. was hot at that time, you know. And uh, the drum happened to be a symbol of that African unity of Black culture. So there was a lot of drumming in the streets, you know. Really? But, but the brothers in America, you know, they didn't really have anything to draw on from mm -hmm. uh, except some recordings of Cuban music, you know. some There was no internet at the time, you know. There was, uh, there was on U Street in D.C., there was this African music shop, you know, and all the drummers flocked to it, you know, to buy African records and Cuban records and stuff. But nobody really knew anything. So I, I could drum, you know, I could play. And I started playing with these guys on, on the streets. Soon enough, I hooked up with some Puerto Ricans, you know, and started playing. And in D.C. at that time then, there was some... Uh, some uh, salsa bands and the Latin jazz bands and I started playing with these guys too until I think this was 1973 and if I'm not mistaken there was the first Smithsonian Folklife Festival Julito Collazo Keibae who was the man the bata man and rumba man on the east coast mm -hmm. in, in New York came to D.C. to perform on the Smithsonian Folklife Festival. Uh, do you want to hear the story? <laughs> this is kind of long. I don't know. I just, I don't know if I'm getting lost here. No, go ahead. Long, long is good. <laughs> this, this was something very decisive for me because what happened was, you know, then me and then my buddies, right, my drumming buddies, we all, because Bata was like, you know, something unheard of, unknown at that sure, time, you know, yeah. about 72, 73. And we all went to see Julito play, you know, and we're watching that, drinking that, that drumming with our eyes and ears, you know, and all of a sudden Julito gets up and passes the yatu Hector El Flaco, whom I would know later, was his second, uh, he's a totally drummer. And he stands up and starts walking away from his tent, from, from the tent where they were playing, and moving towards somewhere else. And I said to my friend, I said, hey, man, this is our chance. Come on, let, let's go talk to him. <laughs> and we start walking after him, you know, not knowing what to say, not knowing how to approach him. And soon enough, I see that he's walking up to a Brazilian tent where Olga Jalaqueto is playing uh, candomblé with her drummers and singing and singing and playing for Xangô, who happened to be Julito's orixá. 
And Julito walks up. I mean, he heard that from where he was playing. And, he, <laughs> you know, he heard that. And he said, I got to check that out. And he started <laughs> walking towards it. And so he, he just walks up on stage and starts singing and dancing with these Brazilian guys, you know, who were there singing for Xangô. Later, when I befriended Julito, I learned that he had been to Rio a long time ago. You know, he was uh, he was in love with Brazilian music and knew all about the religion mm. in Brazil. Anyway, so I, after the show was over, I walked up on stage, and of course, I start talking to Olga, you know, whom I happened to to know very superficially, but I knew her, and she knew who I, who I was, and started talking to Julito. Okay, so we come off the stage and uh, everybody is going back to their hotels. And Julito turns to me and says, so what do you want? And I said, I want to learn to play bata. And he said, okay, I'll give you my phone number and you can call me up and you can come up to New York and I'll teach you. <laughs> I was ecstatic. Wrote down his phone number. And I spent about a month calling Julito every day. Every day. I mean, I would wake up and call him. Before I would go to sleep, I would call him. And nobody ever picked up the phone. My friend, this friend that was with me at the time, you know, this Puerto Rican drummer, he started saying, oh, man, he just gave you any phone number. You know, I mean, you know, right. just give me any number. Stop calling him. Give it up. And I said, no, man. It's, you know. One day, he picks up the phone. And I, I said, Polito, Fernando, el brasileiro, the Brazilian guy you met, you know, I said, oh, yeah, 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 sure, sure. You want to learn Bata, right? I said, yeah, yeah, whatever. I said, okay, come up to New York. When can you come? I said, oh, tomorrow. <laughs> anyway, so we started, me and this friend, with Journey to New York on a beat-up old VW to start learning Bata and Rumba. And that's uh, when my involvement with, uh, with Cuban music began. And that would become a, a lifelong passion, you know. After I yeah. came back to Brazil, now jumping, I mean, uh, okay, wait a second. Let's not do such a big jump. In 19, when was it? Uh, I can't remember the exact date now. In the 70s, when the Marielitos. That was in the early 80s. 80, I think it was. No, nah, that was late 70s. Wasn't it 79? 79, 79, 80. Uh, I guess. Mariel was in 1980, beginning 1980. of... 1980, okay. Yeah. Great, okay. When the Marielitos... Okay, after that, after that, after playing with Julito and, you know, uh, playing bata with him and, and playing rumba and all of that, in D.C., I guess uh, Marion Barry was the mayor at the time. I'm not oh, sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Marion Barry. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway uh, there was this, you know, there was funding for several kinds of cultural activities, you know, minority uh, cultural activities. And there was this guy that, that came up with this Escuela de Rumba. <clears throat> and I was a teacher a rumba teacher on this Escuela de Rumba. 
One day, a Saturday, on a Saturday, I'm teaching there, I'm giving a class, and uh, the school director walks in with these four guys, and after, you know, after the class is over, he brings these four guys to me, and they were four Cubans, four Marielitos, who mm-hmm. hadn't just who had just gotten out of a, one of those forts, you know, right. and uh, they introduced themselves. And to make a long story short, they, at the camp, at the fort, at the camp where they were, they had already put together a folklore group, which was which would be called Kubata. And now that they got out, they... They were, were ready to start working, but they didn't know how to go about it. To make a long story short, I became a member of the Kubata, which was led by the guy that would later become uh, be the ya player, the caja player on Bataqueto, uh, Roberto Borrell. Mm-hmm. He was the leader of Kubata. And that was the first Cuban folklore group uh, in the States formed by Marielitos. You know? And that was a revolution because the bata they played was different. The rumba they played was different because mm-hmm. that stuff had, had sort of been uh, congealed in the United States. It had been frozen in time. And these mm-hmm. guys brought something totally different. And Roberto Borrell was one of the founding members of Conjunto Nacional in, in Havana. So he was very... You know, yeah, yeah, in yeah. The mix. Was, yeah, Roberto was, you know, <laughs> he, he could sing, play, dance, he, dance could do, yeah. he, he could do it all. And uh, I remember at one rehearsal because there was this, this was a fantastic time for me because these guys were hungry, you know. I mean, they 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 got out of Cuba, they got to the states, you know, they got out of camp and they. They were ready to hit. Mm-hmm. And we'd rehearse, we'd rehearse four, five, six hours every day. The same wow. stuff. You know, awesome. the same. We had like this, this show, which would start with Yambu, go through uh, Guido, go through Abacua. No, it started with Pregones, then Yambu, and then Guido, Abacua, eh, Bata. Uh, I don't remember you, what else. And did we, you do? And, yeah. Did Did you do Arara too? No, no, we no, didn't do Arara. No, we mm-hmm. didn't do Arara. And it would end with a modern rumba. Anyway, we we played universities. We played Kennedy Center, Lincoln Center. At the Lincoln Center, we were invited. I mean, the drummers, the three of us. We were four, but three of us got invited to play with with Tito Puente. Eric Palmieri. It was fantastic. And we were touring wow. the States, you know, with, with, with this band. Uh, we recorded two albums for the Smithsonian. Uh, it was really great. After it's that, amazing. You were there, like, right when all of that was, was happening and everybody was just ready to go. And you were, like, right in the middle. Yes, yes, yes. That's incredible. Yes. And that's when I met Michael Spiral. Mm-hmm. Oh, my on the East savior. Coast out there. 
Yeah, was that no, when he no. was doing his bongo boot camp? So he did this whole bongo boot camp thing. Is that when? No, no. I met him on the West Coast. What happened was, ah, okay. I'm too parallel late. with all this, I was I was uh, trying to study. I was trying to go to college. <laughs> I went to Montgomery College, and then I got into Maryland University, and I was trying to somehow I wanted to do a master's in ethnomusicology. You know. Mm-hmm. But that's when Kubata hit, and I said, forget it. I just want to play. Because, that, you know, uh, academics yeah, was like, yeah. uh, you know, something to hold on to. But anyway, that's not what I really wanted to do. Sure. But yeah. at that time, there was this one guy, there was this one guy in D.C., um, a Mexican guy who was connected with uh, educational organizations in the government. And he was very helpful with these Cubans. You know, he helped. I know who that is. What is his name? I can't remember his name. I I wish I could. I've come into contact with him. I can't remember. Because he was fantastic. I mean, he Mm -hmm. was the guy that would open up doors for us to play, you know, at festivals Mm -hmm. and stuff. Anyway, so, uh, oh God, I got lost here. So you were on tour with um, Kubata. Okay, okay. Roberto Borrell, right? Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, I got lost here. Hell, you dropped hell, out of great. school. You dropped out of school, and we're gonna go on tour, and then oh. met Michael Spiro at some point. Thank you, thank you. Let's, <laughs> sure. let's try to pick up from here. So. Uh, there was this Mexican guy that was involved with governmental organizations, uh, cultural organizations. He was very helpful with the band, with the Cuban band, with Cubans in general. He was a great guy. And one of his friends that came over D.C., he was at, he was in D.C. for one of these festivals where we played. He happened to be the... Uh, the director, I guess, of the, uh, the Department of Music at, oh my Lord, San Diego State University. Anyway, this guy was the director of the music, music department at San Diego State. And he invited me to come to San Diego with the possibility of me getting uh, a scholarship there you know, to to study there and, and hopefully get my master's there. Mm-hmm. And when I came, Spiro, Michael was teaching a class at San Diego State because he used to teach Afro-Cuban folklore at San Diego State. And this guy, I mean, the director of the music department took me to meet Michael at his class. And we started playing together, you know, and we've been friends ever since. Last year, he was here in, in Rio. Uh, right. We did a workshop together on Afro-Cuban music, on Bata. And Michael, man, I mean, you know, I, I can't say enough about him. Both him and Mark, Mark Lemson came to Rio to record some stuff for the Bata mm-hmm. Kit album. You know, but Michael, man, Mike, Michael is something for whom I have the highest uh, love and admiration. You know, he's a mm-hmm. very close and good friend. And somebody I admire greatly. I can't say that enough because the man has done everything. I mean, you know, right. he, he put it mm-hmm. all together. He put it all together. Follow Miguel. <laughs> <laughs>
I yeah. th- I thought of I I think I figured out that guy's name. Bill Rodriguez is that it is what it is? Bill William. Uh, the well, lawyer. My mind, my mind has has been uh, uh, greatly damaged since those days, and I'm afraid <laughs> I can't really remember. I I, I don't I don't remember. It's okay. Uh, so anyway, so after that. I came back to Rio because I started dating a Brazilian girl, a Brazilian woman in in Washington, ended up marrying her, and after 10 years without setting foot in Brazil, I came back. Were you, oh, did you have a Brazilian citizenship still, or how, what? No, I- You I, lived I, in I, so many places. No, I just had a, a, a green card. You know, but I never, I never gave up Brazilian citizenship. Gotcha. I see. I, I just had a green card. Uh, so I married this Brazilian woman, and that was the return. Because actually, I didn't even know many Brazilians, except for mm-hmm. and this. This is interesting. This is something I forgot to, to mention. Uh, Washington D.C. at that time. I, I don't know if this is still happening, but it had a Hispanic Heritage Day. It was the celebration with the huge parade and stuff. Uh, I think it was in 16th Street. I, I don't exactly remember. This was a long time ago, about 30, 40 years ago. And uh, we, I put together some guys to make a school at Samba. It was oh, a, nice. It was a pitiful excuse for a school at Samba. <laughs> Because, you know, I mean, I said, okay, man, this is the boom, this is the surdo de primeira, you do surdo de segunda, let's do this, you play the caixa boles like this, and it was like surdo de primeira, de segunda, I played surdo de terceira, a uh, couple guys played caixa, there was no repique, uh, but, you know, we were there on Hispanic Heritage Day, and right. this was, you know, the first, we did a couple of carnivals in New York, and Baltimore and stuff, but that was, and that must have been the beginnings of summer school in the U.S. I don't know. Actually, we went, we played. God, things keep coming back now. Once, once you start talking, we played at Pelé's farewell in New York. There was Pelé, the soccer player. Mm-hmm. Oh, played, oh, yeah. Yeah, I guess he played at Cosmos or something. And mm-hmm. they had this farewell ceremony for him. What and year was called, this? Oh, I have no idea. I want to I no want to find out if that was the first samba thing that happened here. I don't know. I don't know. I can't be blamed for it though. <laughs> anyway, so after marrying this Brazilian woman, that started I I started getting back in touch with the Brazilian community in Washington, because I was mostly, you know, with Latin American, with Cubans and Puerto Ricans and Black Americans, you know. And uh, I, I always resented very much, and this is something very delicate, but I've always resented the Brazilian attitude towards the rest of Latin America. Of course, it's not every Brazilian that has that attitude, but most Brazilians 
have this this attitude of uh, how can I put it? Help me, girls. How can I put it? It's not superiority. <laughs> is ugly. But you know, I'm, I realize that there's a language difference. There's a, a, a cultural difference that sets Brazil apart from. I mean, mostly a linguistic difference. You know, we speak mm -hmm. Portuguese. The rest of Latin America speaks Spanish. But like conquered by Spain or conquered by Portugal, like it's kind of. Yeah, yeah, but right? there's also, you know, the sheer size of Brazil. I don't know. You know, uh, anyway, Brazil, Brazilians, Brazilians have, at least they had that attitude when I was in the States. They didn't mingle with Latin, with the rest of, of oh, Latin really? America a whole lot. Yeah. yeah. And hmm. there was something that I really resented, you know, because I was, I mean, I was more than ever uh, aware of, I mean, of, 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 Brazilian Latinidad, you know, and and that's what I wanted to to live, and and I that's what I wanted to advocate, you know, that Brazil was a part of Latin America, and that Brazil would become. For instance, uh, Spanish only started being Spanish. I don't think Spanish is taught in Brazilian schools, you know, when English is. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Uh, and I thought that that's something that has brought us great losses, you know, because it still keeps us apart from the rest of Latin America. And mm -hmm. I was, as a Brazilian in the States, I was very much a Latino, you know. I was, I, anyway, that was there. So in 1983, because I, I left Brazil in 1970, Came back for a month in '73, and I only returned again to Brazil. Only set foot, set foot in Brazil again in 1983, and that was the beginning of my return, my returning for good. Because then I, I met, I came back to my Candomblé roots. You know, as much as I felt very comfortable in the states, and loved it. I mean, I had a ball in the states. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, I, because I, I don't know, I was there at a very important moment. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the, really. The seventies, the seventies there were fantastic, you know. But I sort of got tired of being a foreigner, you know. Uh, anyway, I, coming back to Brazil, I took the decision of coming back for good. By then, I divorced that Brazilian woman that I had married. And fell in love with another Brazilian, whom I also ended up marrying. And I came back to Brazil for good in 1987. Leo, did your the rest of your family also return to Brazil, or are they still in the, here in the States? No, they returned much earlier. Mm. They stayed, my, the rest of my family, they stayed until 1976, 77. I stayed on for 17 years. I only mm. came back in 1987, so it was 17 years in the States. Did you ever study in Cuba? Did you ever travel to Cuba to study? Well, that, that started happening after my return to Brazil. Ah, okay. Because then, at the same time that I, you know, that I rejoined my Candomblé house, you know, and uh, all of that, there was this one 
Cuban Babalao that came to Rio, uh, I think that, that must have been in the early 90s. And anyway, I met this guy and uh, he was trying to get a resident visa in Brazil and he had to go back to Cuba. And I had befriended him and I said, I'm coming with you. <laughs> nice. And he, he missed Cuba so much and I loved Cuba so much that when the two of us, and this was the old Jose Marti airport, the wooden mm -hmm. one, you know, it was beautiful. This was, uh, wait a second, 19, which year did I go to Cuba for the first time? I, 86, 86, 85, 86, 86, 80, no, 87 was when I, I returned to Brazil for good. I guess my first time, my drum is 20 years old. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not good at, at dates. I'm not good with dates. No problem. I guess, I guess my drum, my drum is 21 years old. 20 years old. So 20 some years old. It was born in 97, 2007, 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, uh, 97, 96 instead of 86. 96 was when I went to Cuba for the first time. In 97, I came back to get my consecrated drum, my fundamental. Yeah, we want to hear, we want to hear about that for sure. Oh, well, do we have time for that? <laughs> yes. Anyway, well, I was talking about this, this Cuban guy that I traveled to Cuba with. When we came off the plane, I said, man, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get down on my knees and kiss the ground. And said, well, do it because I'm doing it too. And the two of us, Right off the plane, we got down on our knees, and I kissed Cuban ground, you know, Cuban land, because it had been a passion for so long in my life, you know. And then, I mean, how I how I met, oh, God, so many stories. But, I mean, I, I, I came with this guy who was a babalauta. He was not a drummer. He knew nothing about drumming. And one day, I'm on the street outside of his house in Havana, in Centro Havana, Basarrate, uh, close to Calzada de Infanta, Centro Havana. Oh, Lord, how I miss that. And uh, this one guy turns to me and says, hey, Brazilian guy, what you looking for here? <laughs> hey, Brasileiro. Because, you know, everybody in the neighborhood knew that there was this Brazilian guy that had come with a babalao, you know. And he says, what you looking for? Uh, you know, women, tobacco, rum. What you looking for? And I said, man, I'm looking for rumba. He said, rumba? Well, I'm going to take you to the best rumbero of Havana. And I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> and, he, and he took me to the house of Santiaguito Nani, que Bae. And uh, as I walk into the house, I see Santiaguito's father cooking Fermin Nani came mm. by. And uh, I'm very moved here now because Fermin would become my, my, my brother, 
my my father, my teacher, my mentor, and uh, I I brought him to Brazil several times, three or four times, four times, and I went to Cuba for to, during for, in the space of twenty years. I went to Cuba twelve times. Whoa! Yeah, and I would stay always with Fermin and his family. And play with, uh, you know, uh, El Monon, Mayito, Regino, uh, mm. mm -hmm. and, you know, those so, guys. Fermin was on the Iluana CD, correct? Exactly, exactly, yes. He plays. I, I used to listen to that. If I listen to that? All the time. No, no, I was saying that I used to listen to that all the time. Oh, sure, sure. That's the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that, uh, uh, Lord, I told you my mind has been damaged. Uh, what's his name? I can see Angel Bolaños. Bolaños. Bolaños was, you know, the supreme consummate master, Bata master and, and, and teacher the master of Regino and Fermin and mm -hmm. all, the, all of those guys. He passed away recently, mm. a couple months ago. And I was trying, I called up Spyro, called up Mike, and we're talking, and he was very sad, and he said, there's nobody, there's no one left now. Uh, at that time, you know, mm -hmm. there's nobody left. Anyway, uh, mm. things have changed a lot. As they are supposed to, as they are right. supposed to, as they are supposed to. It's inevitable. And uh, I think it's very positive. What happens is that uh, new generations have to claim tradition, to reclaim tradition as their own. Otherwise, it will die. Mm. And to claim that as their own, they have to introduce changes in their views yeah. and their way of of feeling and expressing it. So, you know, I'm I'm an old timer, but I'm I'm not in I I love the the new changes and uh, you know the inventos and floreos and what rumba has become and what bata has become and what candomblé has become. Even though in candomblé the thing is a little bit different because it hasn't been as well preserved as the Cuban traditions mm -hmm. uh, for different reasons that would take us too long to analyze. But anyway, Candomblé in Brazil went through a decline to, to, to a period of, of decline in, the pres in, in preserving the drumming as it really is. But right now, some young guys in Bahia have taken up, uh, have taken, have it, have taken it upon themselves to rescue uh, the best traditions of Candomblé, mm -hmm. and it's it's working out. It's working out, and it's it's okay now. Now, Leo, I wanted to go back a little bit. Are were you? Did you make Anya or did you make uh, Ocha when you? Were back in Brazil, or had you already done it when you were in the states? No, I I had Ocha made right after I got suspended to be in Xangô. I was still 
I was still eight years old when mm-hmm. I was crying. I was crying when I was eight years old. So, you know, I'm uh, I'm 60, 62 years old. But as far as Afro-Cuban, Ocha? No. See, you only make, you only get crowned once. Once. Oh, okay. What happened was that, uh, this is this is really involved. Uh, <laughs> after a while, I had a fallout with my Paiji Santo, mm-hmm. which has passed already. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't make up before he passed. But uh, and uh, he got rid of all my assentamentos, you know, because you know that here in Brazil, I mean, the Cuban system, you make santo, you 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 make santo, you receive your santo, you 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 wash some santos. Everything is yours. You take it to your house. And it's with you there by your side, right? Mm-hmm. While in Brazil, everything stays at the Casa de Santo. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to get your Santo out of the Casa de Santo. Your Pai de Santo or Mãe de Santo will take care of your Santo for you. Mm-hmm. And very little is taught, you know, because the idea is to keep the Santo in the house. Oh. Uh, so there's, you know, the, the, the casas de santo are temples where the uh, os filhos de santo da casa keep their assentamentos. They keep their orishas in there. Anyway, so when I had this fallout with my pai de santo, he threw all my stuff away. Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I for, for a couple years, a couple three, four, six months, I was like expecting a plane to fall on my head or, you know, uh, be hit by a truck or something like that, but nothing happened. <laughs> At any rate, when I, after I started going to Cuba, I got all the Santos that I had made in my mm-hmm. carrego, as we call in Brazil, oh. all the assentamentos, I got them all back according to the Lukumi tradition. Mm-hmm. Okay, the santo that I made in Brazil, my house in Rio has roots in Jeje, which mm-hmm. is the which is the Brazilian Arara. Mm-hmm. So, in my santo, uh, my orixá de cabeça is Omolu, mm-hmm. Obaluayê, Asohano, 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 and I, I, I. I got a Sohano from Pedro Abreu, who's the Arara man in Havana. And not only I got a Sohano from him, a Sohano da Soyi, who's my, my, but I was also consecrated by him, Oluopopo and Awobokono. In other words, I have a Sohano Zifá which is mm-hmm. something that Pedro only... Uh, on, I, I was the first one that he made a Wobokono. I suppose that since mm-hmm. then he's made others, but I was the first one that, that, that he made. Wow. That's... Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So that's my involvement with Arara. And so you had the first set of consecrated no. sacred drums in no. Brazil. Is that true or no? No, no. There was this one. There's, there was this one Babalao uh, who made it far with this Cuban Rafael Samora was the, the guy that brought Ifa to Brazil. Uh, one of his, one of the first Babalaos consecrated by him was this guy, Beto Odissá, who's also passed, who brought, who went to Cuba and not knowing anything about Anya or Bata drumming, got a consecrated drum, a fundamental, and brought to Brazil. That drum never played. Mm. They kept it under wraps. Mm. I, I I played several, not several. I mean, uh, three ceremonies at his house on on my fundamental, and I kept insisting with, "Hey man, let let me see your drums. Let me take care of your drums. Let me feed your drums. Whatever you want from me, let at least you know feed these drums." But he kept the drums under wraps, and since he passed. It's, it seems his son got the drums, but his son knows even less than his father did about Anya. And I tried to get in touch with his son to talk about the drum, to rescue these drums to no avail. So my drum was the second drum to come to Brazil. There is now a third drum that was also, uh, you know, brought down to Rio by a Babalao. But it's the same uh, story. He knows nothing about Anya. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know how to how to play. He doesn't know how to take care of the drum. He doesn't know but much about Anya. And he called me up to go feed the drum, you know, and he wanted me to teach his sons to play like that. <laughs> Something simple, you know. And I said, yeah, sure, man, let's do it. I'll, I'll, I'll feed the drum and show you how to care for the drum, you know. But then the virus hit. Mm-hmm. So my drum has been the only working fundamental in Brazil right. since 1997. So we have a bunch of, di- a bunch, our listeners are, are quite diverse in their in their backgrounds with, with Brazilian music. Would you mind describing... The process of 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 consecrating a drum and and what it's like to receive one and what that means. So there's some people who have no idea what we're talking about. Okay, Brazilian atabaques. Uh, the atabaque, of course, is a sort of tumbadora-like looking drum, mm-hmm. but it's uh, it's a drum which, in my mind is not of Yoruba origins as, as the Bata. Uh, it has Jeji origins. Uh, the, 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 the stringing, the playing with two sticks is, is points to a, to a phone origin, to phone origins. And these drums in Brazil, they can be fed. They can uh, be consecrated to play for the Orishas. But in Cuba, the Bata drum, which is an hourglass-shaped drum, three drums, it is the 
embodiment of a deity. I don't like that term very much, but in French, of a, a deity called Anya, Ayan in, Afri in Africa, which renders these drums sacred and speaks through these drums. And only consecrated drummers, only drums who consecrate themselves to this Orisha, to this deity, to Anya, becoming Omoanya, only these these drummers are allowed to play these drums. Uh, these drums, in their rhythmic patterns, they utter prayers, they utter words, they utter significances that which bring down, help to bring down the other Orishas, the other deities mm. to come and party with us. The, the birth of a consecrated batadrum, of a fundamento, is a long and involved ceremony, sacred ceremony. But what is most important from my point of view is that one fundamento has to be born from another fundamento. Uh, nobody can just carve out some drums and consecrate them. No, there's a lineage. Oh. There's a lineage. Mm -hmm. There's a lineage of consecrated drums that oh, cool. goes back to the first fundamental made in Cuba. So, hmm. uh, you know, uh, uh, my drum is called Akobianya, and it was born from a, from from another drum called Anyabioyo which was made by Pablo Rochi around 1940. No, no, 1940. In the 40s. And what do you mean? Old. What do you mean oh. when you say it was born? Like, what does, what do you mean by that? Like, it was part of the same, like, there's parts of the original drum that are in your drum? Is that what you mean? No, 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 no. But the, but the ceremony, but the ceremony, uh, is a birthing process. Okay. Is a birthing process. And at the end of when the, the drum is ready and strung up and, and this this a, the final ceremony is what is called transmission of Anya, which is where uh, the the owners of the old drum of the mother drum play the drum. And the new drummers, the owners, the owner of the new drum, mm -hmm. play his drums. And then they switch. Ah, oh, okay. The, the old drummers play the new drum. The new guys play the old drum. And then they switch back. And that's when the transmission of Anya is finally accomplished. Oh, interesting. Yes. Very interesting. And it's a very... I'm getting goosebumps here with remembering my mm -hmm. ceremony of transmission of my drum. Can you describe it to us? What are you thinking? No, I, I was just remembering it. it, it it's, it's just that. I mean, you know, there's a, there's a sequence of rhythms, a pre-established sequence of rhythms, which is played on the drums. And, you know, then you you switch drums, you, you, you switch drums with the old guys, then you switch back. And when you switch back to your drum, the transmission is 
complete, it's accomplished, mm. and then your drum is fully consecrated. Mm. Is it unusual for someone outside of Cuba to to receive this? Uh, I don't. I I I don't think so. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Not anymore. No, there's several fundamentals spread out throughout the world. Uh, but of course, to get a fundamental. You have to be in, in deeply involved in the religion, of course. Uh, and uh, but of course, twenty, thirty years, twenty some years ago, when I got mine, it, it it was it was not as usual as it is nowadays. But nowadays, yes, I, I, I mean, there's no objection to it, you know. Right. Right. Fascinating. Now, before this whole pandemic started, you were teaching Bata at Maracatu, Brazil. Is that right? No. Okay. What happened was this. After I came to Brazil, when I came back to Brazil, uh, pop music was, Brazilian pop music had incorporated the percussion which was utilized in American pop music, which was utilized in world pop music, which was, which were the Cuban instruments, tumbadoras, bongoses, timbales, you know? And the Brazilian percussion was used strictly in samba. Of course, it was used in pop music too, but uh, the pop artists preferred because of, uh, I don't know, it was fashionable, it was what was being used around the world. This Cuban combo of tumbadoras, bongos, and timbales. The thing is that very few people in Brazil could play these drums adequately Mm. or knew the rhythm patterns and, you know, intricacies and details uh, very well. So when I came in, when I came back to Rio, I was the I was the guy that knew all about it, that knew all mm-hmm. about uh, Afri- uh, you know, Cuban drumming. Uh, so, but I, but I was also the guy that that you know liked rumba and and played candomblé and played bata drumming, because also I needed people to play my fundamental. Mm-hmm. So I started, yes, aggressively looking for Bata mm. students. Mm. The question, of course, being that Bata apprenticeship is something quite involved and that takes a reasonable amount of time. Uh, the same thing as Candomblé. You know, Samba is pretty much straightforward. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, you have basically one rhythm. I, I mean, it can get very sophisticated, you know. Escola uh, uh, de Samba has become something unique in Brazil, in the world. You know, it's become something very sophisticated. Uh, the different instruments, the interplay between the different instruments, and recently uh, the, uh, the technical developments in these instruments like Hebeke and 
you know, it, it, it's really something very, very powerful. But I always had a preference for the roots of samba, which in my understanding are in the Angola drumming, in the drumming mm -hmm. of the Angola nation, which would be the Congo nation in Cuba. Uh, the difference from Angola to Keto, to the Keto nation, is that whereas in Keto the drums are played with agidavis, with sticks, Mm -hmm. In Angola, they're played exclusively with the hands. And there's basically only three rhythms in the Angola nation. Congo, Barravento, and Kabula. Mm -hmm. Kabula is the origin of samba. It's where samba comes from. Samba comes from Bahia. We all know that, right? Mm -hmm. Samba duro, samba de roda. You know, that comes from Bahia. Uh, as a matter of fact, in Rio, everybody knows that samba started in, around the houses of the, the tias, the mm -hmm. tias baianas. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, so I was always more drawn to that. You know? And as a matter of fact, I, uh, in, 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 in my first album, Ba, there's one song where I... I mix rumba, the tumbao of Guarapatiangueo, with the rum of Kabula, you know, Patuajifa. It's is the name of the song, and it's it's because what I what I've tried to do after after I came to Rio, then as I said, I started, I became the the Cuban percussion specialist, and it got to the point where I. I put together a salsa band called Rio Salsa, mm -hmm. which was a big hit for a while, for a couple of years, or no, maybe three, four years. I had two compositions of mine record, that we recorded become uh, things in soaps of Globo, you know, uh, mm -hmm. novela da, da Globo. Uh, but after that was over, you know, I started playing with pop artists, and uh, I've, I've played with everybody uh, from from Nando Reis, who was a was a great composer of pop music in Brazil. You know, to Pedro Luiz, Lucas Santana. Uh, my 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 most dear experience in Brazil musical uh, was was with an Argentinian called Ramiro Musotto, mm -hmm. who's also passed, who was the Birimbau genius. He, he uh, uh, you know, Nana was his idol. And with all due respect to my good and dear friend Nana, Ramiro took the Birimbau a few steps up. Have you heard of him, Ramiro Musotto? Of course. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Ramiro <laughs> played with everybody in Bahia, you know, Caetano, Gil, eh, eh, Daniela, Margarete, everybody. And he was the guy that came up with the system to precisely tune the birimbau. That's why it, it's because of Ramiro that I, that I use birimbau so much mm. in my in my music, in my recordings, you know, in my compositions. Uh, 
Um, we toured Europe, Japan, you know, uh, his two albums. In his second album, Civilization e Barbarie, I sang, that, that was the first time that I recorded my voice, that mm. I sang on a recording because mm -hmm. of Ramiro, you know. And there's a few, there's a couple of songs in there which where I played Bata. One is Ogun, which I played Chachalo Kofu, and the other one is Ochosi. Mm -hmm. I really love that because Ramiro made a Bilimbao arrangement for that song. It's a traditional Afro-Cuban song uh, played in the Batas with an arrangement of Bilimbaos, of several Bilimbaos played by Ramiro, which is one of the things that gave me most satisfaction in musical terms. So I played a lot of pop music, you know, with, with, with lots of pop artists. But uh, the, the experiences that stand out in the past 10 years or so were Lucas Santana, who's a, who's a dear friend, a great Brazilian composer and musician, and Ramiro Mussorti. Hmm. And then I started recording my own stuff. My first album, Ba, which was, would have been produced by Ramiro had he not left us so early, so untimely, uh, draws a lot from his influence. His second album has a lot of, of my influence on him because Ramiro, we met, he came to me to learn Bata, to study Bata with mm -hmm. me. And we became mm -hmm. great friends. And he would always introduce me as his master, his teacher. Once I said, Ramiro, stop that, man, because I'm, you know, <laughs> I've, learned, I've learned so much more from you than you've learned from me. He said, no, Leo, no. You taught me about the clave concept. You've taught me so much, man. No, Leo, tu eres mi maestro. <coughs> Ramiro was a very humble, simple, and giving person and passionate. He was... He was tremendously passionate about his music. Mm. And his passion infected people that worked with him. You know, everybody around him was infected by, by his passion. Mm. And he's greatly missed. He, was, uh, he still is an inspiration to me. Well, that album, Ba, is... Really, really good. I've been. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, listening to it, and is this? You had mentioned that you, you were singing. Is this the first time you sang? Because your voice is really interesting and cool, and I just love, I love your voice on it as well. well. Thank you, thank you. Because I have this complex of, about, you know, with my voice. I study, and I after after him, what happened was after Hamido made me record. After we. We recorded my voice mm -hmm. on, on his album, on Civilization de Barbarie. I said, wait a second, man. We're gonna, I'm going to have to sing in public. We're going to do this live. He said, sure. <laughs> I said, so I guess I'd better start. I guess I'd better start taking up voice lessons, which I did. Oh, cool. But uh, amongst my problems, I'm deaf. I have a hearing disability. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I need hearing aids. I mean, because, mm -hmm. you know, nowadays, this guy, 
everybody uses ear protection, you know, mm-hmm. ear protective gear and stuff. And it's my time now, man. Come on, let's hear that, you yeah. know. Yeah. And uh, so, but so it's a challenge for me to sing. I really worked very hard at it. My voice, my my timbre, people uh, kind of like it, especially for yeah. what I do. Mm-hmm. Especially, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. I'm very grateful for that because it's very, uh, it's very difficult for me. I, I think singing is much harder than playing any instrument. To me, it is. Mm-hmm. You know, because yeah. that comes from within you. You know, right. it's it, very vulnerable. You are, yeah. you are the instrument, and it's yeah. so easy to. I mean, on the first, the first time I went, that 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 me and Ramiro went to France. That I went to France with Ramiro's men. The, the first European concert was in Paris, and uh, there was this. The, the first tune that I was going to sing on stage was Ogun, mm-hmm. which he recorded my voice and sort of put several, <coughs> he manipulated it, you know, put several mm-hmm. effects on it, filters and stuff. And the voice, <laughs> and it was very hard for me to, 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 to get the tone, mm-hmm. you know. Okay, so this is Paris, our first European concert. And when the song, so I, you know, I had several tricks to, to find the tone because there's no, there was no, there's no melody instrument, there's no harmony, there's nothing. Right, right, There's right, only right. my voice with the, those effects. Right, that's even extra super hard, yeah. So it comes on, and when I start singing. I'm off key. I realized I'm out of tune, but there's not a damn thing I can do because we're playing along with the computer. Mm-hmm. And there's not a damn thing I can do but keep it up to the end. And I was waiting for it to finish and somebody drop a bomb on the theater <laughs> or you know, somebody shoot me or something. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> So after that, I, I really decided to study, to take up voice lessons. Mm-hmm. But it's still very, it's very hard for me. It's very difficult.
yeye mo ba alafin yeye alafin yeye alafin yeye alafin yeye mo ba alafin yeye mo ba kawo baba mi jide oba koso baba mi jide ogogo jide mi oba shango baba mi jide ni le wana ki e mo ko fosi baba mi jide So thank you very much. I'm very very grateful when people uh, like my my singing. I like it. It's you yeah. ha- like you said you had it's got a unique t- like a timbre to it that's I it's really so resonant. Like yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. And it's not affected, you know, like a lot of people sing with like an affected sound and there's none of that. It's just, it's just raw you. And I, I really, I really, really like it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's raw. Right. (laughs) Because. Well, not raw in like a bad way. It's like, it's, it's pure human or something. I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Organic or something. Yeah. Wow, thank you. Well, see, because I started I started to sing at ceremonies. Because mm-hmm. one of the I mean, you know, one of the problems with with uh, with uh, the bata drumming, the ritual drumming in ceremonies here in Brazil is that I have to this day I sing lead and play. So when you play also in Candomblé, you know, I, I, and when you have to sing over drumming, yeah, mm-hmm. you have to belt it out. Mm-hmm. And that was a problem when I started recording and singing on stage, singing with microphones. I had to tone that down considerably <laughs> and learn to breathe, of course. Mm-hmm. And learn to breathe, of course, because, you know, that's really the basis of it all. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah, interesting. I've always been curious about um, the Pusha Door styles of singing. Not this is way off topic, but they they're singing over a, a samba bateria of like three hundred people, and it's such a um, it's such a they have to push so hard to sing that way. I've always been curious about that that style no of singing question. and no what the roots no of that question. is and yeah the the power no they have question. is so and they could they do it for you know for the parade it's what like like an almost an hour yeah. and a half <laughs> yeah. yep 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 it's amazing it's amazing yeah yeah now back uh to your cd i really enjoyed uh cartel de visita it just the what the what the what cartel de visita oh Disse que eu sou a manha, sou jurado no tambor. Minha cabeça é de homolu, minhas mãos são de xangô. Sacerdote de Exu, eu fui feito Luponã. Também preparo as cabaças para o filho de Nanã. Eu já disse que eu sou a manha, sou jurado no tambor. Minha cabeça é de homolu, minhas mãos são de xangô. Sacerdote de Exu. Eu fui feito no bordão 
I just love the story it, it gave, you know, it laid it all out, you know, what, what, what your journey has been. It's yeah. Yeah. That, that's what, that's precisely what it is. A, a, a visiting a calling card, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Visit is a calling card. So I, I, I say who I am, you know, in the right. religion, in the drumming, you know, and what's interesting is that, uh, all percussion in there is played by monobloco. Oh, cool. I mean, the guys, I mean, you know, the, the monobloco, a diretoria, you know, the original sure. guys from mm-hmm. monobloco, which were the guys from Pedro Luiz e Aparede, mm-hmm. they're all students of mine. They're my best friends, with best of friends, you know, Celso, Sidon, uh, Gabriel? Gabriel came in much later. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the original. The OGs. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, you know, there was Pedro Luiz e Aparede. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You're familiar with that? Yeah. Okay. And what happened was after their the first album, Astronauta Tupi, they were not getting many gigs and things were getting kind of rough. So they decided to start teaching percussion, right. summer percussion. And it was up, it, it was right close by here in Jardim Botânico, Subindo a Lopes Quintas, that's this club. And uh, it started real small because, you know, they started giving, teaching classes, teaching bateria, and started making a small block, and all of a sudden it became a hit. And the whole street that led to the club became a, an immense traffic jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's when Monoblock started. So originally, the five first, you know, the guys who started teaching to the other guys uh, were these these guys from Pedro Luiz e Aparente. Sidon Silva, Celcinho, who's the director of Monoblock, the musical director of mm-hmm. Monoblock, C.A. Ferrari, and uh, Mario Moura. These were the guys. Who was Mario Moura was the bass player in the La Parede. And Pedro Luiz, of course, who was the band singer. leader, singer, and composer. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And, they, and, and Pedro Luiz is the composer. I, 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 I asked him to compose a song uh, to, to close the album. That last song, Desencabula, where I wanted, I wanted to record something in Kabula, the rhythm that we were talking about, right. which I claim to be the origin, the origins of samba, 
Uh, and he made a wordplay with that, Dizincabula, and composed that, that song with the, the woman who was his wife at the time, Roberta Sá. They were married mm -hmm. at the time. And so uh, it's, it's a composition by the two of them. And I really like that song because the wordplay along it is very nice. And on the room, the drum, mm -hmm. uh, there it's Nate Joshossi. You know, we've had... I just yeah. wanted to say we've had so like several of our our guests that we've interviewed have studied with Nate Yoshosi. Yeah, uh, mo the, these guys here in in Rio uh, that studied. I mean, I was the guy that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to. Uh, that's no. Doesn't mean anything. But I mean, because I was the guy that that brought Nate, that made Nate start teaching. Mm -hmm. Because May, he, when he came to Rio, he was he was actually working as a mason, mason, mm -hmm. and uh, he he was like disappointed with drumming. And I said, "Come on, man! You know you have to teach these guys." Because mm -hmm. what happened was Candomblé in Rio, way back, way back, had a family, the Encarnação family, who came from Bahia. And these guys could play the real stuff. But then it started getting distorted and getting lost and getting... And anyway, and, and there's, there's a lot of, of candomblé very badly played in Rio de Janeiro. And when they came to Rio, I said, come on, man, you've got to teach these guys. You've got to show what the stuff really is like, you know? So all the guys from on the block who, were, I mean, all the guys were friends of mine. I introduced them to me and uh, instigated them to, to start studying with him. You know, and he would start his first classes. He was teaching in my, at my house, you know. <laughs> so Ney is a very good, I was a very, very close friend with his father, who's also passed. His father was... <laughs> Like Regino uh, and you know, like uh, mm -hmm. Bolang, he was like a legend in candomblé drumming. And he had this Afoche in Salvador, uh, who was very, very popular too. He was a great guy, he was a great guy. And he sings in my album, mm -hmm. uh, The Sweet Shango, mm -hmm. that's him singing. Mm at the beginning, and also the song for Omolu, Kuru Kuru, Kuru Kuru, and you know, that, that, that album, I, I had all, all my friends play on it, you know, it was, I really liked that very much. And the second one, of course, after something like Ba, Ba was a hard, hard, a hard act to follow, tough act to, mm -hmm. to follow. So the second album, Ritual. Uh, I maintain the same the same idea, which is what I do, which is bringing together uh, Afro-Brazilian and Afro-Cuban drumming, uh, and with more compositions of mine. Mm. And uh, one song that I wrote for my my wife, the the mother of the triplets, <laughs> which. 
just came to me in English and Portuguese. And it starts with the Birimbau, which is all of those things. We didn't talk about that aspect of your life that you have triplets who are three years old at home. That's right. That's another yeah. amazing thing about you. That's a, that's a lot of kids. A lot of three-year-olds. That's a lot of kids. That's a lot of kids. <laughs> But you know, and uh, I. <laughs> but you know, I'm a young guy, right? So, you know, I can handle this. Yeah, uh, yeah. And actually, actually, when we because this was no artificial insemination or nothing. It was it just happened. Wow. Yes, and we wow. were. Yeah, we were. Wow, that's right. <laughs> and when you know, which uh, she she went for the. Uh, Ultrasound examinations, mm-hmm. that I'm in English. Mm-hmm. You know, the first one, okay, oh, okay, here's the baby, here's the fetus, yeah, okay, everything looks good. Yeah. Uh, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> uh, my wife, what? Is there another one? Wait, yeah, 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 it's two. Oh, my God, twins? And I said, oh, God, twins? Wait a second. And then I, I left the room. <laughs> but, uh, I mean... Wow. What can I say? I mean, you know, I usually say, well, of course, I have a 30-year-old son. And now I have these, this, this, these three-year-old trio. Lots of threes. Yeah, yeah. You have a whole three baton balls, set up. <laughs> three mini balls, three batons, three right. batons, guitar, bass, and drums. The whole thing. Yeah, they can each play a drum, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and they do already. I'm gonna send nice. you a little video of them. Oh, please. And, uh, but you know, I, 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 I like to say that, that children, children are a lot like sex. I mean, if you haven't had it, there's no way to explain it to you. You know, <laughs> kids are something so unique. You know, it's it's the most challenging. The most challenging thing I've ever done. I've done a lot, but kids, children are, are so challenging. I mean, they they make they bring out the best of you, the best in you, and leave you no choice. Mm. You know, and I'm not talking about you know uh, your profession or athletics or. Or, or money making. I'm not disdaining any of those, but it's just of you as a human being. Mm-hmm. You know, they they look at you in the eye, and you understand things you wouldn't understand otherwise. At least that's happened with me. That's what happened with me, and I'm extremely thankful uh, to have this opportunity now at this stage in my life. Because, you know, uh, I don't know. They give me so much. They give me so much. That's and, beautiful. Uh, and I just hope I can, if, that I can give back half of what they give me. I'll be satisfied. Mm. That's sweet. That's beautiful. <clears throat> um, so you had mentioned earlier about running back to your studio to get your your headphones um what what has been going on with you currently and you know that with in relation to the pandemic and 
I, you know, you've got three, three year olds. Um, I imagine they take up a lot of your time, but what, what are you working on currently? Nothing, nothing but the kids, nothing mm-hmm. but the kids. Uh, because of the kids, because uh, of my, my age, I'm considered in the risk group mm-hmm. and we, we won't take any chances. I mean, one of the things <clears throat> I'm not judging, I'm not, I'm not judging anybody. I'm not criticizing anybody. But uh, in Brazil, it's been very hard to follow social distancing. Yeah. Uh, mat- to to wear masks. You know. Uh, I suppose those of you, I mean, uh, who, who know Brazil and, and and have been following the news, know what we've been going through. I don't want. I don't mm-hmm. want to go into that. We were talking about that before we started. Right. And it's really so depressing, you know. It's really hard. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, we're having... I know that the States is not having it much easier either. But at least you got vaccines. I hope everything works out. I know the distribution and actual vaccination is not going uh, as many as most of you, I suppose, expected. But over here... It's still very murky. It's very, the future looks very bleak because there's not enough vaccines yet. They don't know. I mean, well, it, it's very difficult. Anyway, I haven't been going out. We've been, uh, the kids went briefly to school, but right now they're on vacation. They go to a school which luckily has adopted, adopts very strict security measures, mm-hmm. safety measures. But now they're on vacation. And with three, 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 three year olds, there's not much else you can do. Yeah. Plus, you know, yeah, plus, I imagine. No, no, it's a lot Chasing of them around and keeping them alive. Yeah. No, and we have no relatives to help us. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's a lot of food to prepare, it's a lot of yeah. clothes to wash, it's a lot <laughs> of, uh, uh, you know, we have to clean the house every day. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Bad time comes, we just drop dead and wake up the next day with them screaming in our ears. And it's fun and games all over again. Not complaining. Yeah. Much to the contrary. It's wonderful because not a dull moment. Uh, no, you know, we're having fun. We're having yeah. a lot of fun. That's great. I've been composing. I've been composing, you know. Uh, I've been up to a certain time, me and my boys uh, that played the fundamental with me, we were, we were practicing in the open air, you know, mm-hmm. outside oh, mm-hmm. masks. Yeah. But it's been three, four months that we stopped doing that. One of them caught the virus. Oh. He, he's doing okay. Uh, he didn't. He he didn't have to be interned or anything like that. He didn't have to be mm-hmm. hospitalized or anything. But uh, now it's actually worse than at the beginning. So, you know, we. I'm not taking any chances. Me, my wife, we're not taking any chances. Yeah, good. And uh, it's really hard. It's really hard because I'm not making any money. Uh, our, but I, you know, there's a lot of people in that situation. As a matter of fact. I want to uh, praise is not enough. I want to command 
to to say how much I was impressed and 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 you know what how much I want to congratulate you for the support of players for the pro for the Hichmu mm. uh, Solidario Solidario you know that's that's so great that's fantastic because the samba community has been stricken so hard we're not having carnival this year mm -hmm. there's people that during carnival you know they make a living for the rest of the year mm -hmm. you know and so that's that's been totally disrupted there's people having a very hard time that's going throughout the world but you know it's been very hard here it's been very hard yeah. but i'm not complaining you know i got the kids the kids are well and healthy mm -hmm. and sooner or later this too shall pass. Yeah, we've exactly. we've we've been touched by the by you know by this Brazilian music. So we and we know our listeners have too. So if they're listening to this podcast, they definitely have. So we feel like it's important to try to try to help out as much as we can mm -hmm. um, with yeah, each Solidario. I mean, Sheena, the organizer, is doing such a great job of just complete grassroots figuring it out as he goes i think it's it's really inspiring what he's mm -hmm. what he's done with that program yeah many people think of helping but few actually do so that's why i think that program is so fantastic you know exactly that's exactly right so as we as we've just got a couple more questions for you here um but we'd like to know you've you've done this a long time and you've you've played this music for a long time you've had such interesting experiences and been in some really key places at really interesting points in history. Can you tell us what, what inspires you um, to keep going and making music? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've never done anything else. <laughs> uh, I, I could come up with a couple of lofty answers. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's something... It's something that I have to do. It's some. It, it's what I do. It's what compositions, for instance, really they just come out. You know, mm. uh, they just. I don't know. I'm sorry. I wish I had a lofty answer, a sophisticated answer, but I. It's just what I do. Music itself inspires me. Music itself inspires me. For instance, with my kids, they love my music. Hmm. And to hear them sing my music is inspiring. At the hmm. same time, I love to sing lullabies for them. Hmm. And watching them fall asleep while I sing lullabies, Many times I just want to cry, you know. It's so, it's so touching to see them fall asleep, you know. And music has, has an abstract power, beauty, something that can't be quantified. I can't, I can't put it in words, you know. Uh, music is what I do. Music is what I live. Music is what has saved me many times from going down the the deep end and it's is what I trust will save me once again and again and again and again. 
I love that. Now, Leo, do you have any um, shout outs or would you like to recognize anybody? Shout out to oh. your wife for helping with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to my wife all the time, to my kids all the time. Two, two, oh man, so many people, all the Brazilian drummers in Rio de Janeiro, in Salvador, in São Paulo, in Recife, uh, which are the guys that I'm most close to, you know, uh, all of them. I can't single out the guys that play with me, that work with me. My fundamental drummers, my my aijados de anya, but all these guys, all 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 percussionists, all percussionists, all musicians, all musicians in the world, all I I don't know, I don't like to single out anybody nor any particular group because we're all just one, and more than ever we got to believe this. I have this one song in English that I I'm about to release it. Hmm. And it says at one point the lyrics say uh wait a second, let me remember. Try and be simple. Throw away your fancy clothes, the crazy makeup. Try to find beneath profiles just who and what you are. And you will see. You're just like me. And you will see, you're just like me. Mm -hmm. Like everything else, like everything, we're all just one. We're all the one, the one is all love. If you can see that, it's not nothing but your fear of life and death, mm -hmm. walking so close and so near. Don't don't put that on the podcast because I was just blurting it out and I can't remember. But anyway, you know. No, we have to leave it in. I love it so much. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> do whatever you have, you, you have to do. I love that. I loved well, everything I you just said. To, I, <laughs> yeah. I could try to sing it, but uh, it wouldn't go well because, you know. So, anyway. Is there is there anything that we didn't ask you that you would like to share or want, want our audience to know about you? Is there anything else? I don't, I don't think so. Uh, actually, okay. my wife my, my, my wife criticizes me all the time because uh, I'm, I don't like to talk about myself a lot, actually. And I'm very bad at uh, promoting myself. Uh, it's, you know, it's part of the business, but I'm, I'm, I'm from a generation that didn't look at it like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, most people in, you know, ritualistic religious drumming didn't look at it like, like that. Right. But uh, I'm just very, very happy that you like my music. I'm very happy that people enjoy my music. I hope it brings them joy. Hope it brings them good vibes, good feelings. And I'm very thankful for that. That's all. Where can they purchase it? Say what? Where can they buy it? What's the best place? for people to hear it and, and buy it? Well, I, I don't know. I'm in Spotify. And my music is in Spotify. It's, uh, this is one other place. Actually, my label is going to 
die oh and God. be reborn with a different name, Cafundó oh. Records. Mm-hmm. Cafundó Records, which is, you know, which has been uh, founded by an American citizen who's oh, become wow. a Brazilian citizen, Magabo, who's a DJ. Oh, it's and has recorded Magabo, and he's, oh. he's recorded so many fundamental Brazilian artists, yeah. you know. And uh, his label, Cafundor Records, which released my second album, and then I asked them to release Ba also. Cafundor uh, Records is going out of business, but he's going to keep the music on a new label, mm-hmm. which will be called Cachambu. This mm. is absolutely firsthand here. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. We'll be looking out for that. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and sharing your time with us. I think this is, this is a, yeah, I feel like there's a lot more to you that we, we haven't gotten to, but um, thank you so much for your time. I was, I was delighted. What pleasure. And a shout out to Rob Akari for. uh... Oh, (laughs) Robinho Jacari. Robinho Jacari. Robinho Jacari, meu camarada. Yeah, that's another guy that straddles quite a few worlds. Yes, he does. Yeah, Mm -hmm. great stumble player, great pata player, great rumbero. Men's know it, knows it all. He's a great guy, very good friend. And one of our biggest listeners. (laughs) Yeah. Great. Fans. Right. Yeah. Well, thank you and so a, much. Well, a great shout out to Brazilian Beat. A great shout <laughs> out to Brazilian Beat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, you know, putting it out there. All this music yeah. and this culture. O meu patuá não é igual ao seu. Okay, if you'd like to know more about Leo, and I know you do because his music's amazing, go to our website, thebrazilianbeat.com, and check out all his links there. You'll see pictures of him and and, uh, links to all his social media and how to buy his CDs and everything. So support this guy. He's doing really cool work. Definitely. And, um, you know, as many of our other um, friends and guests, um, they're totally affected by this uh, pandemic and he's mm-hmm. working from home. And um, yeah, buying a CD is just one way to help. He's got triplets to feed. <laughs> he does. Lots of little mouths, hungry little mouths. <laughs> Also, thank you to everyone who has supported Hichimo Solidario. We talk to Sheena at least once a week about how things are going, and he sends us photos of different mestries from Samba schools all getting together and accepting the donations and taking them back to their communities. So please keep up the support. If you have the means to um, keep supporting them, please do. Your 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 money goes a long ways and they are definitely feeling the love from the samba communities outside of brazil so that's 
it's pretty it's pretty awesome actually what what we as a community have been able to pull off there so yeah keep it up you guys yeah um you know as most people know that they're not going to have carnival this year so it it's even more important now um, to donate if you can um, and support those artists down there you know everybody's doing online lessons now um so if you you know if there's something you are interested in um go look for a teacher because they're out there so jimmy biala and his wife yuko are have started a gofundme page for mystery ielton mystery ielton legendary mystery from manguera wants to train as a carpenter so he so they started a gofundme to pay for the the tuition and it looks like it actually got funded so that's pretty awesome but if you want to add to it they can always use more um we'll have a link to that uh in the show notes so check it out and way to go jimmy yeah and you um I wanted to give a little announcement, um, and this is actually uh, a good friend of Leo's, who uh, we talked about, Michael Spiro, who's also a guest way back when, in the early days. Uh, Michael and some other folks have put together this um, new little documentary movie um, called Los Bandos, uh, Rumba and Casuela. So this is a bunch of Michael's teachers, people he's played with from Matanzas in that community. Um, there's a trailer that we're going to post, um, and then it will have information on how to access the um, the video. I think it's it's a small fee to watch. So if you can watch, it's like five dollars or something. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cheap, minimal. Um, so support this project because it's very important and um, it, it Broomba has been one of my passions for a long time too so uh, I'm really excited to see this I haven't seen it yet both Courtney and I were just talking about this how we both have to watch this so um, we'll put the link to the trailer and then we'll put the link to where you can um, access when you watch it are you going to jump up and dance around the room I might. (laughs) (laughs) But I might. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you want to, um, if you got something to say, you want to reach out, please, please do. Um, You can find us on social media and uh, email us at thebrazilianbeat at gmail.com. So, yeah, say hi. All right. Thanks for listening. Ciao.